Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. Thank you so much for listening. Before we jump into the conversation, the topic of the podcast, and I introduce my guest, I just want to take a moment just to give a quick shout out about the PYC 85-Hour Yoga Alliance teacher training. I am so, so, so proud of it. It has been going on, to be honest, I think it's like 13 years incredibly proud of its longevity. And we just finished off our fall New York City teacher training. It was a sold out training. And I'm just finishing off correcting the exams and watching the final classes. And in just a few days, I'm heading to Charlotte, North Carolina for another teacher training. We have a wonderful group of people there. And then there's still a few spots left for the Richmond, Virginia training. That will be in January and February. And then back in New York for the spring for the New York City spring training in March and April. And can you believe it? But we're already starting to look at the fall. I can't believe it. A year away and we're getting that on the calendar and getting the applications out soon. So if you are a yoga teacher and you're interested in studying the PYC methodology, please take a look at the program. It's very in-depth. There's homework, there's videos, there's podcasts to watch and listen to. Very uh, intricate manual that I keep growing and growing because I love to keep learning. So if this is where your path is headed, please take a look. You can find more about it at the prenatalyogacenter.com website. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and get into the meat of the podcast. So I have Yali Shulansky. She's not just a community member, but she's my friend and she's been with us for two births. So the podcast is going to be a little bit about her pregnancies, but what's so unique about Yali is how open she is about her past. She has suffered for 10 years of her life recently with an eating disorder. And if you can imagine anyone that doesn't even have a issue or really our odd relationship with food, having to navigate pregnancy and the change of your body and postpartum. And then we layer on when there is a difficult relationship with body image and food and what that's like. And Yali so bravely opens up about her struggle with it and how she combated relapse with her eating disorder. And she's just so open to share her story. So I hope you enjoy this story. And if you are in this place of having a challenge during your pregnancy or postpartum with with an eating disorder, I hope you can seek help. And I hope this helps give you that next step to take to find that help. And you might be the person supporting somebody that's going through this. So again, I hope this helps you and serves you. So without further ado, I'm so excited to speak with Yali. Enjoy. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Yali. I am so excited to speak with you again. Not that I don't talk to you on a regular basis in class and online, but... And through text and et cetera. But I'm really excited to have you come back to the podcast. So those that are maybe listening already in the community, Yali was my second podcast. My first one I did was a little bit about the studio. And then, and Yali, you came to my house for that. Is that correct? Or am I making that up? No, I I came to your house to interview you. Actually. Oh, okay. I remember you at my kitchen table. Um, all right. So then I did the podcast via Skype, I guess, that other time too. 
All right. Well, I'm really excited to have you back because a lot has changed in your life since this first, since your first time. And uh, I love having community members come and talk about their birth and their experience. And you do have a lot to share. Um, I mean, everything from, as you and I already talked about, having two children to motherhood to, let's even see if I can pronounce it correctly, matrescence. Um, That's right. (laughs) I I had to practice that one. To um, eating disorders and body image issues. So there's a lot that you can share. And I love dipping into the pool of our community because you guys have such rich stories. Everyone has a rich story. So I think it's important to share. So I kind of gave a very brief outline, but let's have you just jump in and tell a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, first of all, it's a real pleasure to be, to to have the honor to be back on the podcast. It's very exciting. As you know, I listen to all of them, (laughs) um, some of them multiple times, and I share them with every new mother that I encounter sometimes on the street. Not really. Um, (laughs) So my name is Yali, and I describe myself as a teacher, writer, and dreamer, and now mother, of course. Uh, I am a teacher. I teach 7th and 8th grade. It's a class that I created called Jewish Life and Practices Through the Spiritual Lens, and I also work with kids and adults, actually, independently to help them cope with depression and anxiety and any kind of stresses that come up during their their lives or in the classroom. And I teach them little tools that they can use basically all the time. And that's evolved over the years. Um, in my other life, I'm a mother to two amazing kids, Zoe, who is going to be three next week. Oh, wow. And Ellie, who's just about three months old. And um, I mean... That has actually, I think before, I, I see myself as pre-Yali the mom and post-Yali the mom, and I was thinking about this yesterday because Zoe was with her grandparents, and I just had this thought of, if I didn't have my kids, I really don't know what I would do with my time. They're just incredible, and it's such an honor to get to spend this time with them. That's beautiful. What did you do with your time before your kids? <laughs> Uh, I think I took a lot of Zumba classes. <laughs> I actually just took Zumba for the first time. Shay's um, YMCA program had an evening family night and had a Zumba teacher. And I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> so that's what you did. Okay. It's a lot of fun. I, I used to take, I think I took, I used to take like nine or 10 classes a week. Wow. All right. So that's and then, clearly. And I worked also. Yeah. In addition to working and all that. But yeah. So, okay. So but now. I think having kids. Help me shape your time focus where I'm going. Yeah. I think a lot of people can say that, you know, because it, it's, um, it is a focus, it's a demand on time. And I think that's why a lot of people, when kids leave the house, you know, that whole empty nest situation, that's a dramatic turn in life. Gosh, I haven't done a podcast about that. Maybe it's not in Mm -hmm. our realm. Um, but it's suddenly a loss of focus in time. So yeah, I mean, having these 18 plus years of children in our lives definitely creates a structure. And for some, I think that works really well. And for some, I think it actually can create havoc and chaos. For sure. For sure. So let's talk about your two different entrances into parenthood. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) So I can just leave it broad and open. Do you want to jump in at that? Sure. Um, they, so do you want to, let me start with the pregnancies. Sure. The pregnancies were like night and day, two very, very, very different experiences. Um, with, with my first one with Zoe, I was very active just like in this one, but I also had almost no symptoms. Um, I had a little morning sickness and, you know, other than growing, I sort of felt kind of the same, but pregnant. Um, and which was nice because I heard a lot of horror stories of what the first few months could be and how, how it could be later on. And with Ellie, the second time around, I had every single symptom you could think of. And for the entire time, basically from week two to week 38 with maybe like a two week break in the middle, oh. I had everything all day, morning sickness and the metallic taste and food aversions and migraines and anything that you could read in a, in, in a, like one of those pregnancy websites, I had that. So that was kind of a shocker. 
because I was expecting to, you know, just sort of breeze through through the second time too. But I think it it made the entrances into motherhood both times very different. Because the first time um, after Zoe was born, the, the actual taking care of the baby part sort of came naturally, but the healing I think took a lot longer because I wasn't used to, I wasn't used to not being able to exercise, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't used to being, to having such hormonal shifts really with nursing and everything. And, um, and it, it was, it took me longer to get back to feeling like I was somewhere in my body. But with Ellie, and I have to be honest, I started drinking coffee again after I had Ellie because... <laughs> Because it's your second kid and you need to. (laughs) That was necessary. But with him, I felt like because I, you know, I I don't want to say suffer, but because the second pregnancy was so that much more challenging, let me pick him up. um, I felt like afterwards it was a little bit of a relief. Hi, little man. I missed seeing you yesterday in postnatal. Yeah. Well, I miss you too, but <laughs> Ursula and Allie enjoyed your macaroons. <laughs> well, maybe they left me one. So this, so entering motherhood a second time, we had the coffee and mm-hmm. I know that you're, from what you shared with me, it seemed like your body felt better or at least more recognizable. Would that be a great way to say it? So I think it felt stronger. Okay. Uh, it's it's a it's kind of strange actually because I think I probably was physically weaker the second time around since the um, the during my pregnancy with Ellie I was sick the entire time mm-hmm. so when after he was born I actually dropped a tremendous amount of weight like to the point where I was I was really taken aback by it and um, a little frightened uh, because. Of course, you you know you lose the the baby weight and the placenta weight and all that other stuff. But I went way below what I weighed before I <clears throat> before I got pregnant with him. Actually, before I got pregnant with Zoe. So I think physically my body may have been like structurally weaker, but I felt more able to get myself back together than I did the first time. I think the first time I didn't. And I think I mentioned it to you when I, the first time I went back to postnatal, I said, I like, I can't hold myself up. I feel very, very weak. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that the second time around. Interesting. So, and you attribute the, so tell me a little bit about your first birth. Cause I do not remember it as well as your second. Cause your second was recent. So. Oh no, I remember the first one. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm saying I don't remember it. So tell me a little bit about your first so my first birth was a planned induction because I was, I think, at 41 weeks and six days when, okay. when we induced. And there really was no sign from my body that I was going into labor anytime soon. So my, my doctor, uh, my care provider, strongly encouraged me to be induced. And it was a pretty standard, um, you know, Cervidil, then Pitocin, and it actually followed their predicted timeline pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, you know, since my body did not go into labor naturally, the contractions were a lot more intense than I had, I guess, planned for. I don't know. But they were, that was, you know, that was shocking a little bit. I just kind of get the build. It, build I don't know. It was the build up into the Pitocin. And then while I was, um, at some point in the, in the labor, I got, I started getting sick and, um, and I started getting stressed out that I, I couldn't breathe. And then, so the baby couldn't breathe and I had a little bit of anxiety there, but otherwise, you know, uh, I think I remember using a lot of visualizations the first time to, to pass through. And, um, but then when it came time for her to be born, it was pretty quick. That's great. That's yeah. really good because you never know how, like, inductions can, you know, not be smooth. So I'm glad yours was. So s- tell me a little bit about your second birth. So the second birth was an unplanned induction. <laughs> uh, I, I started having contractions at, he was, so I actually started having contractions at 36 weeks. And they told me that I was probably dehydrated. 
which was right. And then I started having contractions. He was born at 38, 38 weeks, two days. So 38 weeks exactly. And they were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I was sort of following the, okay, they're about you know, three minutes apart. They're a minute long. They're really intense. I can't talk through them. It's time to go to the hospital. And I got there and they put me in triage for a little, a little while. And it turned out that I actually was not in labor, but I was dehydrated again. Uh-huh. So uh, for those, you know, um, the birthing parents that are pregnant in the summer, uh, drink a lot of water. <laughs> um, I was in the, because, I mean, it was a very hot summer and I was also working, I was teaching Zumba all the way through the end. So that probably contributed to it. Mm-hmm. But the, um, my care provider who happened to be actually on call that weekend. Um, it's funny. I actually had seen her that day for my appointment and she said, well, you know, it doesn't look like anything's happening, but happen to be on call this weekend if you feel like coming in. So I guess I did. (laughs) And she said, well, you know, you could go home and, and come back, but we're a little concerned because the amniotic fluid is dropping. And so after some discussion between, you know, with her and my partner and I, we decided that we would just induce. And she was very optimistic that it wouldn't take very long because the first time was more or less smooth. But from the, the, from the first point of Pitocin until he was actually born, it was 27 hours. <laughs> so it was a much longer time with Pitocin. Um, to the point that, you know, like really nothing was happening for hours and hours and hours, and they just kept increasing the amount. And I really have to say I'm very grateful to my care provider because she's very, very patient, and she, her philosophy is, you're okay, baby's okay, we keep going. There's no need to rush into anything if everybody's fine. That's great. And, and she really, and she doesn't panic. She's not a, you know, she, she doesn't catastrophize, so... I think there were some moments during the labor that things were happening because they sort of came in nonchalantly and were like, oh, we're just going to give you some oxygen now, no big deal. <laughs> and But everything was, you know, in the end, everything was okay. And he came out, um, he also came out pretty quickly when it came to that point. That's great. So how did you mentally and physically prepare and what was the role of education in your birth? Or births? I think education. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I said this the first time, and I say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again. Coming to classes, and particularly your classes at PYC, was a huge part of my education because either you would mention things that I hadn't thought about, and then I would research them further, or you would talk about them in class, and it really helped me shape how I went into the births and I feel like I went in a much more informed and educated pregnant person, and I was able to ask questions. Uh, I think I asked every anything that we spoke about in class or that you mentioned. I asked about either in my in my appointments or during the labor, or I had my partner ask about it. And I think it was very important because it allowed me to make decisions in moments where if I didn't have information or I didn't know what was going on, I, I might have panicked or I might have gotten stressed out, but I didn't experience any of that kind of, I don't know what's going on because I knew what they were talking about when they said, you know, when they talked about stations or when they talked about positioning, when I, it was as though I had been trained in you know, in midwifery or something. That's, that's amazing. Um, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. So a little bit deviating because this made me think of some, as you were speaking, I thought of something. So... So coming to class, you know, we do interweave a lot of childbirth education into our class. It's actually one of the three main staples. Um, the th- I call them the pillars of our teaching methodology. But so that helped inform you and educate and create a curiosity to support yourself. What was your perception of birth prior to that? Because I, I, and you know, because you did get the education and the new information when you walked in the door your first time and before learning all this. Did your perception of birth change? What was your thoughts of it prior to learning? So all I really knew about birth um, was from my my mom's telling me of my own birth, which was um, it was an emergency cesarean at two weeks post-due date, and I was breech, and she was narrow, and it was sort of traumatic. That was her experience of it. And, um, you know, I was the first one of my friends really to have kids and I'm the oldest in my family. So I didn't, and my sister-in-law had had kids before me, but she, she also had, um, C-sections. So I, that was sort of my nebulous knowledge of birth. Now, uh, I will make a, a shout out to another podcast of yours because I was taking, at the time, I believe I was taking Orly Athens class at <gasps> Yes, she's young. amazing. <laughs> she, <yeah. laughs> um, she, her class is, I think, now called the Mother-Child Matrix. It may have been called that then, too. But it basically goes into the experience of becoming a mother about the mother. I think there's maybe half a lesson on the child, and the rest of it is cultural, so, um, social, psychological, and physical, the, the whole evolution of the mother, which she calls matrescence. And so that, from that perspective, I had some education, but I really, like, I didn't know, I didn't have any knowledge of birthing today, birthing in America, because I actually was born, I was born in Israel. So my mom's experience is, was in an Israeli setting, you know, 30, at that point, at that time, 30 years ago. And so I really, you know, and I think what after I'd walked in the door and after you sort of did the circle time, I really thought like, wow, this is a good, a good place to come because I'm going to learn a lot. Even, you know, in addition to the yoga, I'm going to learn about what I'm about to go into a little bit. Yeah. That's something I think I, I personally took for granted until I started diving deeper into people's personal history and what that means. You know, I, you've listened to the podcast, you know, I grew up with a uh, very positive story of, of my entrance into the world. My mom was like, you're almost born on Star Drive. That's kind of like the equivalent to the West Side Highway for New Yorkers. And my dad asked to stop for a sandwich and she's like, no, the baby's coming out. And like, it was just such a quick, um, positive experience in her mind that mm-hmm. that is what impacted me as birth. So it, yeah. for years, I hadn't realized that the history we're told about our birth has an impact on how people perceive birth. And then we have society and movies and friends Mm -hmm. and everything telling us about birth. So many people walk in terrified without even really thinking about it. Just their subconscious (laughs) is terrified of birth or it's just negative or they already feel invalidated in their ability to give birth. Like the fact that you said like my mom was narrow and I was in emergency C-section, whether they're realizing it or not, there's some part in your brain that can think I'm, I'm probably like, I will probably have the same thing. So part of our jobs at the studio is to unpack some of those, those thoughts and baggage and history and try to smooth it out a little bit and hopefully create some encouragement that each experience is different. So I'm glad that you were able to, to find that inspiration and courage for your, for your births. Yeah, it was, it was essential. Um, and also, I mean, the, I also went in with a little bit of fear because I have, uh, I struggled with it with a pretty severe eating disorder from the age of 16, really until the age of like 26, 27, until I started really, really getting out of it. 
And um, I was told many times over that I would not even be able to conceive kids. So having kids, actually physically birthing the kid, I was concerned that, oh, maybe I will be too narrow also, or all sorts of things happened, or, you know. So that, I, that was a big unknown for me, which um, I'm very grateful ended up not, not being an issue. Well, let's turn that direction a little bit, because I know you and I talked about going into this, and I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one that has had body image and eating issues. In fact, I did a, I know I did one podcast on eating issues and another one on plus size um, yep. expectant mm-hmm. parents. So let's Excellent let's unpack, podcast. yeah. So let's unpack unpack that a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about how body image and um, eating disorders, how that might have been challenging during your life during pregnancies and postpartum? Um, well, so the first time around with Zoe, I loved, loved being pregnant and I loved seeing my body grow. And I felt very empowered by the fact that my body could hold and nurture life, that she was in there and she was growing and it was my body that was and, and the way that I was taking care of my body that was allowing her to do that. Um, that was a very empowering pregnancy for me. And it, it, it was a turning point in my continued healing because it allowed me to sort of really tell myself, okay, so all these doctors told you you wouldn't be able to have kids, but look, here you are. You're, you know, 11 months pregnant. Um, that's what it felt like by the end. <laughs> <laughs> and you're okay, and you're going to do this, and it's good. Um, at the same time, I worked very closely the first time around with uh, with my my very longtime therapist who had helped me from the beginning, and um, I paid very close attention to my nutrition and what I was eating. And it, I actually for it was I believe it was treated as a high risk pregnancy because of my history. But it didn't feel like it was being treated that way. There wasn't any, again, my, my care provider is very good at not making things seem very like catastrophic. So mm-hmm. it's, it was good. Uh, and, and really, I, something that I made sure to do was also I would tell the nurses every time I went in and my care provider knew that I didn't want to know numbers. I really, unless the weight was too low or too high, just don't tell me how much I've gained. Don't tell me how much I weigh. Let me just feel my body the way it is because part of part of the eating disorder mentality is really focusing on numbers whether it's calories or weight or BMI or whatever and trying to sort of beat an an imaginary goal that is not healthy um, so really being in tune with my body and definitely exercising now you know everybody every woman every pregnant person is different but for me exercising throughout my pregnancy really helped me maintain that mental balance as well. And, um, and just doing my best to be, to be in tune and, and, and eat as well as I could. Do you want to take a pause? Do you need to take a pause and and help him or is he good? Uh, Well, I think he just wants to be part of the conversation. Okay. Okay, cool. This is why we have Eddie who can always adjust things. Um, so the second time around was a lot harder. Uh, I, at the beginning when I had the, um, so first of all, I should mention that the second time, I think it was, it was a little bit more challenging for us to get pregnant the second time around. Um, there were a couple either false positives or something, I don't know. And it was emotionally, um, a little bit challenging. I think, you know, if you remember, I was sort of like coming in and out of yeah. prenatal for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally did get pregnant, um, I actually, first of all, I found out much earlier. So with, with Zoe, it didn't show up on the test until I was six weeks pregnant. With him, it showed up at two weeks. Mm. So already I was sort of thinking like, okay, maybe the hormones are stronger. But then the symptoms started. And... That was that was challenging to be to feel nauseous and sick all day, and uh, working as a teacher full time. You know, I'm standing in front of a classroom. I can't really like run out <laughs> um, and leave a class of kids unattended. So 
dealing with that, dealing with not really wanting to tell anybody yet, um, mentally that was very challenging and physically I didn't feel good. I really felt crappy. Um, if I can say that on here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the best way to describe it. I remember being pregnant. I had two miscarriages between my kids and one time just like laying on the floor in Shay's room, just being miserable. And I think that adds to it too. Like you, you also have to take care of the other child's. Right. All right. The other child who, you know, who's a toddler. So she, and I, and I was actually still nursing her at the time. So she, I weaned her when I was five months pregnant with Ellie because she just really loved nursing. Um, and so it was very, very demanding. And I felt, I started to feel myself struggling. Um, and so I, I, when I feel that coming on, my first instinct is to call my therapist even if I haven't spoken to her for years, I just call her and we have a chat and, and we see where I am. And I was really, I think I was my, the way I was getting through it, it was like, well, it's morning sickness. It'll go away at 12 weeks. I'll be fine. It's okay. I can get through this. And then when it didn't go away at 12 weeks, and actually I think around that time is when it started becoming all day morning sickness, Mm -hmm. like really just at a few points, it was like every few hours. Um, then it was a lot more challenging and I still wasn't, I hadn't told anybody at work and, um, you know, and, and I think it, it, it definitely affected me. I felt like I was fighting a lot more the second time around to get through the pregnancy rather than really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when I hit 20 weeks, I was like, okay, (laughs) how I'm ready for the end now. (laughs) And you're still at a long time to go. A long time to go. And, you know, being pregnant through this very hot summer that we just had um, and working and this. And and part of it was also I knew that if I kept my mind busy and myself engaged, I wouldn't have time to sink into, oh, I feel terrible. Oh, this must this is definitely affecting the baby and so on and so forth. Because that downward spiral is what can re-trigger a lot of things. Um, and I struggled for, for me, it was sometimes I had, you know, you have in, in an eating disorder, um, mentality, you have this voice that tells you what you're doing wrong all the time. And so part of the time was really, you know, I, I, it was sort of saying, Oh, are you really throwing up because you're nauseous from the pregnancy or are you doing it on purpose because you don't want to gain weight. And that was hard to deal with. And it was, and I actually don't think I have shared that with anybody before. So there you go. Um, but I, it's important for me to share because it's, I think it happens and I think it's really hard to deal with the shame that comes up around that. Um, the first time around everyone was worried that I would relapse into my eating disorder and I didn't. And the second time around, nobody even asked about it. And I was struggling a lot more. Did you voice that to your partner, to your therapist at the time? I spoke about it with my partner. um, And then, but part of me also didn't want to worry him too much. So, you know, there, and there, that's also sort of the, the same eating disordered thinking where it, it, uh, it guides you to hide the behavior and hide the thoughts and hide the feelings. So it becomes your little secret. But I, I, I would talk about it with him and I would tell him, like, I really don't feel good and I'm scared. And, you know, and he would check in with me. And he's we've known each other through, I would say, some of the hardest parts of my recovery. So he knows how to be sensitive around it and how to really take care of me with it, which was helpful. Um, with my therapist, you know, it was I when it when I felt it very, very strongly and I felt like I had no way out, I would send her a text and then we, we would check in either by text or she would call back. But for the most part, I really felt like I was, I was dealing with it on my own. Um, especially throughout the school day. And when I was at home with Zoe and it's very hard to explain to a two-year-old why mommy's running to the bathroom. And I, I'm very, very, um, I'm very aware of not wanting her to be exposed to, um, eating disordered thoughts or behaviors. Um, and she will be eventually because it's, 
unfortunately part of our our conversation. Um, but at this young age, like I didn't want her to make that connection either between being pregnant and feeling terrible or eating and throwing up. It just was, so that was in my mind as well while I was going through it. What kind of things did the therapist or your husband say as a check-in? Like what did that look like? Um, well, my, my therapist is very big on compassion. Her approach to everything, which is what really helped me, is is dealing with anything that happens in your life, really, with compassion and asking yourself to really check into where you are with it. So when something would come up and I would say to her, I'm trying to think of a, a specific example, but I think... I think, so around week 15 or 16, the nausea and sickness stopped for two weeks and I felt amazing and I started running again and it was great and so excited. And then at week 18 or 19, it came back with the same or worse intensity. And I think I felt a lot of despair at that point and sort of, and I kept, I started thinking like, oh, maybe something's wrong with the baby and maybe, you know, all all sorts of things. And she would tell me to, um, she would tell me to question the thought. She would say, first of all, she would, the first thing is this, she would say, is this a kind thought? Is this a compassionate thought that you're having about yourself? And almost a hundred percent of the time, the answer was no. And then she would ask me to say, is this a true thought? Is this a fact? Is this something that is supported by medical checkups? Is this something that's supported by physical symptoms? Or, you know, she she would sort of take it out of my mind and into my body. And that really helped because every single time the answer was no. Every checkup, the baby's fine. Every, you know, I'm fine, baby's fine. Everything was going the way it needed to go. So that really helped. And and with my partner, it was, um, you know, for him to, to give me the space to talk about it if I'd had a, a, a difficult day or if I'd had a moment that was really hard. Um, that's really his strength to say, like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. Say what happened. Because I tend to not say what happened and just say, oh, whenever I got through it, it was fine. What were some of the tools that you used to combat a relapse? Um, constant awareness and vigilance uh, is sort of like I was aware of the possibility, first of all. And over the, the years, I've really trained myself to recognize and to question the thoughts that are coming up and to not believe everything my brain says to me. Because our brains, for the most part, are very good to us. But there are moments where they're not so nice to us and they like to make us feel ashamed or guilty of things that we didn't do. And so that helped me get through some of the hard moments where I really, I would check in and say, um, is this true? Is this really happening? Is, am I, you know, what, where is this thought coming from? And of course there are moments where I wasn't able to do that and I would believe the thoughts and I would just feel despair And what helped was saying, I feel despair. I feel very sad. I feel very angry. I hate this. I mean, I really, I I think I said it to you a couple of times, like I'm really ready for this pregnancy. Oh, you said that (laughs) well before you were in that window to give birth. Yeah. 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 And it's a, it's a controversial thing to say because, you know, we're supposed to love being pregnant and love becoming mothers, but it's every time. (laughs) I'm going to take that supposed to out and just say maybe society feels we should, but I really want listeners to know that it's extremely okay not to like where you are at the moment because eventually something changes or you just accept it. Yeah. Well, that was supposed to in quotes. It was really supposed to, but you do come up with that societal pressure. And especially now that everything is on social media, you see people, celebrities who are pregnant and glowing and so happy and their pictures look amazing. And they have a whole team to put that illusion forward. Right. Exactly. And so that gets, that gets into our subconscious, even if we're the the most self-aware and, um, you know, and, and healthy person that we can be, 
it's very hard sometimes to ignore those messages that get in because they come up. Yeah. When we feel vulnerable, when we feel tired, when we feel sick, when we feel just done with it, they come up. You know, you're not good enough. I, I can't believe you're, you know, I can't believe you're thinking about this. And yeah, maybe you should start throwing up on purpose. So these thoughts come up and the only way to stop them is to acknowledge out loud either to somebody else or to yourself that they're there and that they're not yours. They're not, they're not your own thoughts about your body. They are in the eating disorder um, situation. They are disordered thoughts. They are coming from another place. And that's what helps me get through. And also reminding myself um, how hard I worked to get out of a place where I was very sick to get to arrive at a place where I can be a mother and a teacher and a runner and a yogi and a partner and all of these things that I couldn't do before. That is quite the path you've had. Wow. And I'm so appreciative that you shared that. So, you know, we've done these podcasts on eating disorders, but I'm so appreciative that you opened up because I think, you know, I think the other ones went to it more, um, a clinical understanding of it, but you really opened up the raw emotion of what it's like to have struggled and to get to not nice to get to the other side. I think it's, you know, it's always probably going to be there lingering in your mind, but like you have some, it hasn't taken you over. You got, no, and it's, and it's a very hard battle. I mean, it's, I read um, yesterday an article about a woman who she's a psychologist and she wrote about people with high function who are high functioning, but have a mental illness and how most people don't believe that they have a mental illness because they can get through the day. Mm-hmm. And part of that mask of functionality is that you learn how to get through a day so people don't know that you're struggling. And that could actually be more dangerous to you because there's such a disparity between what you present to the outside and what you feel on the inside. Mm-hmm. And that's very big with eating disorders, um, especially because for many people as they get smaller, people start to tell them, oh, you look so great. Wow. What are you doing? You're, you must be on a diet or all these things. But on the inside, they're really suffering. Yeah. And I actually experienced that a little bit postpartum this time around because I did lose a tremendous amount of weight and I actually felt really terrible with it. Um, it, it was, I felt weak and scared for, for the first, I would say at least the first six weeks postpartum and people were telling me, you look great. And I didn't feel great, but I didn't have the strength at the time to say, well, actually this is not a positive for me at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that's also a little bit of um, a disparity because in society, we, many people still equate thinness with, with beauty and health when really it's not always the case. And sometimes it can be, can be masking something a lot, um, much harder and a lot more, a lot darker. So let's just say like today, how are you doing today? Uh, well, at least sleeping now. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll check that box. Okay. Well, you know, Uh, you're back to running. Yes. So that has been, that was the big shift for me postpartum this time. Um, exercise is a part of my recovery, like having a regular exercise routine, not overdoing it and really doing it in a way that's healthy keeps my mind balanced. And I didn't realize how important it is to me until I, until I gave birth to him and I couldn't exercise for six weeks with Zoe. I don't think I felt that as much this time. I really felt the difference when I started, um, first of all, when I came back to yoga and then when I started running, I actually waited. I, I was, I mean, you know, I texted you like from the hospital. <laughs> Do you remember that? I'm like, no, you cannot start. Like, didn't you just give birth a few hours ago? You cannot start anything right now. Right. Um, I actually waited, uh, more than six weeks. I think I waited eight, uh, eight weeks before I started running and I started slowly and, but I felt the difference immediately. My mind, it was like my mind cleared and a lot of these thoughts that were accompanying me postpartum 
and were making me feel very bad about what I looked like and how I'd gotten there, um, just went away. And I started feeling my body stronger again. The, the What exercise allows me to do is to really, I don't have to think about food. Um, a big part of eating disorders is you just, you're thinking about food all the time, 100% of the day, whether it's how little you're eating or when can you eat next and get rid of it. It's just, you're, it's in your mind all the time. And if I have a regular exercise routine, I'm more in tune with my body's cues of I'm hungry, I'm not hungry, than if I'm not. And that's just, for me, I don't know if it's, it's probably not across the board with everybody, but that's my, my own experience. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Can you talk a little bit about the exercise part of holding off till eight weeks? I'm going to throw myself out there and say, like, I while I... Don't strongly with the food. I'm a bit of an exercise problematic person that if I don't exercise, it gets me crazy. In fact, my husband's like, kids, let her ride her bike. She's going to be a wackadoo if she doesn't. So I was the <laughs> worst example of what to do postpartum. Um, I, re- I went back way too early with after Shay and that caused my body great harm. Um, and I, I don't even remember how I did with Sage. That was such a blur. It was also a horribly cold winter. How did you hold off emotionally till eight weeks of exercising? Um, I would think in my mind, what would Deb say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, clearly that is not what to do because I think think I'm a much better giver of information than receiver of my own advice. Um, well, I mean, part of it, part of it is what I, what I learned through yoga and through your classes about the pelvic floor actually, and understanding stability and, um, how necessary that is to living Yeah, <laughs> and certainly exercising. And I actually, um, so I, the first time I tore, um, quite a bit and the second time, not as much, but it wasn't healing as well as it did the first time. And I could feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it was, you know, I was clear to exercise at six weeks, but she also said like, Oh, you know, it doesn't look exactly the way that I'd like it to look. And, and we, I actually had a, a procedure done at my six week appointment, which was really fun. Um, and I thought, okay, so let's wait, let's wait until I, I myself feel that it's, it's a little bit better. And I'm glad that I did because I, I don't know if it was, you know, she said it's not like structural damage, but let's, you know, let's let it heal. Like the integrity yeah. of the muscle needed more yeah. support. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it needed more support. It wasn't there quite the way that she wanted it to be. And, um, you know, and I, I, by that point I'd gone back to yoga. Yeah. I went back to yoga like the day before that appointment and I felt, I felt good in the class and I was, but I, you know, running is very high impact on Uh the whole body. So I didn't want to risk anything. And I just kept telling myself, I have the time. I, you know, I have the time to run. I have the time if I need. And I went back to work part time. I like basically at two weeks postpartum. So I thought to myself, well, if I need to stretch that out, the part time piece of it because I'm not really fully ready yet, then I will do that. So I sort of gave myself allowances that didn't, because I also have that, that mentality that if I don't, you know, if I don't get my runs in three times a week, I start to feel a little crabby and, you know, and, and my, my Zoe already says to me like, mommy, you really need to go for a run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely one of those things. Um, 
to keep in check. It's so hard. Like I really try and for my kids not to express, like they ask me why I exercise and I don't want it at all related to body image. Although I know that's probably the 90% of my reason. I tell them if it's about keeping mommy's heart healthy and that they want mommy to live for a long time um, and be healthy and active. So I'm trying to put forth that exercise as a healthy act, you know, uh, activity and lifestyle. But it is, it's one of those things as anyone that's had any sort of body image issue, it's a hard, it, we want to I guess, as you said, like we can't 100% protect our children from it, but we don't want to expose them to that thinking so early. Right. And, and we don't want to create it in them, which I think happens a lot um, inadvertently and sometimes openly in families where eating patterns or, or conversation about diets and body image and exercise trickle down, especially to daughters. Yeah. And and they carry it on with them, and I'm very very aware of it. I even I don't even like saying healthy or unhealthy food or good and bad food. I just sort of you know like I have I know people who don't let their kids have any sugar or don't like their kids have any carbohydrates or any this or any that. And I just you know I'm trying to convey you eat to make your body feel good and strong, mm-hmm. and if you can around without getting, you know, without your heart hurting or getting tired or, and, and you feel, you know, you don't get sick often or all sorts of things, then I use that as markers of you're eating well for, for my kids. Um, you know, because, and I also try to, to model good eating habits. Like we eat at a table, we don't eat standing up and Mm -hmm. we, all these sorts of things, but yeah, it's, it's very, that's something that, that motherhood, especially being the mom to a, a, a girl has made me very aware of is just how I talk about my, my eating and my body, how I talk about exercise, what I model, and just a lot more awareness around the behaviors that we, um, that we demonstrate and that we show in the house. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what kids pick up. My daughter loves to make up songs. She's four. I was making up the song about being pretty. <laughs> I'm like, and smart and funny. And like, I kept trying to add words besides yeah. pretty. She's like, I'm the prettiest girl. I'm like, I'm like, and supportive and compassionate. And even yeah. like some of the, um, fairy tales books that we have, cause she's so into Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll start adding words. I'm like, and she's intelligent. And like, my husband's in the other room rolling his eyes. Like, I don't even say, like, happily ever after. I'm like, it's a false thought. Like, so, it's a and false dream. the rest of their lives yeah. as what happens, happens. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. It's interesting, the pressure, or not even pressure, just, like, what trickles down to girls. So, yeah, I'm trying to be mindful of that. I'm glad you are, too. So, let's start to wrap things up. I want to talk a little bit about some of your biggest surprises of motherhood. What has that been? biggest surprise um that I'm good at it (laughs) that I like I enjoy it I actually really enjoy giving up all of my time for my kids as much as as much as I grumble through it when it happens sometimes I think we all do (laughs) (laughs) um no and I think I think the biggest the biggest surprise and joy was being able to become a mother that was really um, that was really it. And then just every day with kids is a surprise. You know, Zoe is developing quite a sense of humor and she's just hilarious. And she'll say things that have me rolling on the floor, which is such a joy to have, you know, on a random car ride to work where you're 10 minutes late and, you know, she's hilarious in the backseat. So there's some of that. And, um, and just also how, how important a community is because I tended to be in my younger years, I tended to sort of be more like have like one or two close friends or just, you know, sort of be socially um, introverted. But since having kids, I'm, and since during that time we've had, we've made a lot of changes in our lives also around, you know, moving out to the suburbs and I mean, we're technically still in the Bronx, but it's pretty <laughs> suburban. Um, and joining a community and really feeling supported with other moms around and other women and other people. And, and, and that has been truly wonderful. Do you have advice you wish someone had told you prior to parenthood? 
Do I have advice? Like, is there some? Uh, is there advice you wish someone had told you? Like, is there something as you were going through it, you're like, oh, why didn't someone tell me about this? I think, you know, I think as much as people will tell you that it's going to change your life, you don't realize it until it, it actually changes your life. Um, what I do wish someone had told me, or, or maybe I'd, I'd heard it, but I didn't believe it, that a lot of your relationships will change prior, you know, the ones that you had as a, a single or, or a single person or a person without kids, those relationships, many of them will change when, if you are the first one to have kids um, or, you know, you have kids and other friends don't. And I think that some of, some of that is, um, can be pretty hard when you have, you know, friends that you spend a lot of time with and, and see a lot. And then for one reason or another, it sort of fades away rather than what you expect is like, Oh, everybody will, will be so happy for me because I have a baby and they'll all want to be around my baby. And that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely attest to that. Yeah. I think, you know, especially if someone doesn't have a child, um, babies can lose their shiny cuteness pretty quickly if they start crying. Yeah. The, the non-parent is like, and I'm done. <laughs> I'll right. see you later. Yeah. Do you have advice that you wish to offer new and expected parents that has really been um, important to you? Yeah. Um, it's what I always say to, to new and expected parents that I know in my life, but it's, it's get educated. Learn as much as you can about what's going on in your body and in your life, because it's not something we're taught in school. It's not something, you may not be something you're taught from your mothers or your parents, and you need to know what you're getting into. You need to know what's happening to your body. You need to know what questions to ask. Um, and yeah, you need to know all of the, all of the scenarios that could or might happen. Like when I, you know, when I went in for the, the, uh, the glucose test, I knew what that was because I I heard about it and read about it and you wrote a blog about it and like all of these things. Whereas if you go in and they tell you, oh, we're testing you for diabetes and you don't know what's going on, that could be a little shocking or, you know, anything else. But really just get, really get educated. Know what you're going through. Listen to Deb's podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I seriously, it has so much information about anything, really almost every topic you could think of. Thank and, you. I, um, I love them. As you know, I love doing these and we've reached over hundreds. So I'm constantly looking for a new topic. So if you have some thoughts that I haven't covered something, please let me know. Okay. I will. <laughs> um, and, and then just also tell people what's going on. If you're having a hard time, if you're struggling, even, you know, especially if you have a history of anything um, where you've had a hard time, whether it's depression, anxiety, eating disorders, if you have a history of trauma, anything, either find a professional person to talk to or find a person in your life that you can talk to about it. Because it's very, very important to know that you're not going through this alone, for the most part. Uh, a pregnant person, hopefully for the most part, is not alone in her journey. And that, that I want to add to that, if you don't mind, so you brought up, you know, the, the eating disorders and trauma. I think it's incredibly important if you've had that in your life, if you're prone to depression, anxiety, anything that you're, you pick a care provider that is supportive and empathetic and responsive to that because, oh, yeah. you know, um, there's so many assault survivors and, and those that have had trauma that if they're not, if there isn't a trauma aware approach, I'm, a, I'm guessing it can trigger. And during birth is not the time that you want your body to get into that state. So just putting that out oh, there to the listeners. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, sure. make sure that your care provider, I talk so much about making sure your care providers aligned with your philosophy, but I think we need to take that a step further to make sure your care provider is supportive of what you bring in from your history and what you need, what kind of support you need. Yeah, and that's another piece. Um, don't hold back your medical history with your with your care provider, because things that you think will not affect your pregnancy might affect your pregnancy. So, in my first session with her, I you know I like spilled my life story to her, and I because it's important for she is the one 
in charge of taking of, of monitoring my well-being and the baby's well-being throughout throughout you know over a year. So it's important that she knows what I'm bringing in, what's what what my body has is holding in it, mm-hmm. other than the baby. Wow, this has been set. I loved this talk. Thank you for Me sharing. Too. Thank you for being so open. You know, I think it's so important because. You know, even though we all carry our individual story, many people have a similar relationship and can can relate and can get courage and and just that companionship, even if we don't know each other necessarily, you know, the community that listens. Just hearing right. someone else has gone through this can be encouraging. So thank you for being so brave and for just spilling it all and letting it all come out. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of my driving force behind everything I do is is being connected and being honest. And I find myself when I'm listening to, to the podcast saying like, me too. I don't. And I realize that nobody can hear me other than, you know, the baby in the car. <laughs> so in my somebody, heart, I'm feeling you know, it. <laughs> oh, thank you, Yali. Right. So, um, yeah. Is there, I know you've done some work. I know you have the I am project. Do you want to just say a little bit about where people can find some of the stuff that you do? Sure. So the I Am Project is the culmination of all of the all, all of the work that I do with kids, and it can be found at iamproject.co. And um, you know, they they can also find a lot of my writing and things that I do on on. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Medium, and I also uh, offer. Um, consultations and private lessons with adults and kids over the phone and in person. So feel free to reach out through any of those mediums. Oh, I love chatting. All right. I will see you in class next week. I hope. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.